welcome to episode 11 of Wise Choice, an official Wise Music podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Adam. And I'm Paula, and we are the Daydream Club. Yeah, and before we move on to the music stuff, I just wanted to note that we have been having a lot of back problems, all this sitting down malarkey, <laughs> right in the lower back. And so we've we've invested in one of these uh, hydraulic sit-stand tables. tables. So this is the first episode with us standing, standing up. Yeah. I feel so really energised. Oh, I'm be... ready to rocky myself <laughs> through this or whatever. You're I always be... come back to rocky. Why do I talk go, about rocky? You do need a little footwork. Uh, and there should be a lot less uh, chair creaks as well. Yeah, because you tend to I'm a terrible around a lot. fidget on a chair. It's probably better that I'm standing. Now you're just swaying. I'm instead. swaying I'm t- <laughs> to my inner music. There's like nothing playing, but I'll have a sway. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm liking this. I this feels it, good. Highly it, recommended. If Very we'll uh, be more energised because we're not sitting down. I wonder if my brain will work a bit faster. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. So anyway, um, someone from Wise made a recommendation for an Eddie Cochran track, which led us down a path of rockabilly and basically the birth of rock and roll. We're in that era. Yeah. That's the pocket of time we're sitting in for this episode. Um, and so maybe if you don't know, rockabilly was one of the earliest styles of rock and roll. It kind of blends country with rhythm and blues and it, it led to, you know, what we now know as like classic rock and roll. But it was those two kind of, so the a Billy is mm-hmm. kind of refers to hillbilly music, I think, right. um, which is like the country blue bluegrass element. Okay, I didn't know that. And then the rock obviously is rock, rock and roll, so rockabilly. Yeah, there yeah. you go then. Doing something new. Yeah. I didn't know the a Billy, hillbilly type thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where it came from. That's why I discovered anyway, and that was my understanding of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to kick off, we're going to start with uh, 20 Flight Rock by Eddie Cochran, released in 1957. Um, and what was really lucky for me was the day I was kind of researching this and getting into it, I'd already done a bit of research, and then my, my cousin came around, um, John Huff, who's like a really great guitarist, and... Uh, a bit of one of these people who, once he's read or heard something, mm. he retains it forever. Know, so he's, he's like a walking encyclopedia oh. of music knowledge. I'd love to have that brain. And he just so happens to be really into Eddie Cochran and all of that rock and roll right now. That's like his thing he's really into. So I could kind of pick his brains. And when I was talking to him about it, he said I should check out the film The Girl Can't Help It. Just can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't help but add that bit on either. That's it. Um, <laughs> Because that, that was apparently where 20 Flight Rock, performed by Eddie Cochran, was, that was the first time he performed it in that film. Mm, and it, it, I watched the film on his recommendation, yeah. and it is like a who's who of like the it rock and roll stars of the time. Mm. Like, so many. It's a great film. So it's kind of quirky and funny. I love the start of it, because it kind of starts black and white, and then kind of comes on it all goes into color he pushes the screen out wide and yeah, nice. it was good innovation a time of innovation though like that would have been wouldn't it that would have been, it would have been a big deal shocking to, to audiences which yeah. is kind of fun i and think the film done kind in a of, clever way wasn't it that intro i think the film's kind of celebrated as this kind of time capsule mm. of those artists like so it includes well, like um technology and those artists in like movies and things yeah i don't know very cool Ooh. moment of being caught and all of it within that opening sequence really it's like <laughs> well no i mean throughout the whole film it's got all these amazing musicians of the time so there's, there's fats domino little richard 
Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent, The Platters, Eddie Fontaine. I mean, yeah, there's nice. a massive list. And then there's this gorgeous rendition of uh, Crimea River by Julie London as mm. well. Oh, yeah. Really nice tone she has. Um, but anyway, we're focusing on Eddie Cochran. Yeah. He was in the mix there. And that was his first like performance of it. It kind of launched his career. Really? Yeah. Oh, and imagine, really imagine a time... So this is a time when there's like no YouTube, no Spotify, no immediate access to so all music. So people who see the gigs would know about it, but that was like getting it to a massive audience. Exactly. Like it might be the only chance <laughs> someone around the world might get to see their favourite artist in person and perform. Mm. Like now you can just look on someone's Instagram and you, you kind of get to capture their whole personality in life. You see inside their homes now. Mm. We're a bit spoiled for knowing what our favourite artists are like. Yeah. But uh, back then... I reckon this would have been a real big deal to see them performing, you know that. Yeah, so that was quite cool. Uh, the song was co-written by Nelda Ned Fairchild with uh, Cochran. It's credited as. There's a bit of mystery surrounding it as to whether she kind of just wrote the song hmm. and then he was given a credit, which happened a lot back then. The star would get a kind of yeah, honorary and credit. They, I, mean, you say I think it still happens now. I was going to say... <laughs> It's not just back then that that happens. Yeah, that's still going on. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to discredit Cochrane. I couldn't get to the bottom of the deal there. But she was definitely, because she was quite a big songwriter on her own. She's got loads of solo songwriting credits where it's just her that's written the song. Yeah. So she's clearly capable. Yeah. Um, whereas he, from what I could gather, has only done co-writes. Oh, okay. So I don't know. Read into that as you will, but mm. regardless, I think he added the the musical flavour. Yeah, a song is a song, but arrangements, you know, can be completely different all the time. Um, That's normally where someone puts the stamp on it, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I think as long as it's a good song, mm. I mean, you can have so many different versions, which we'll see. I've added some oh, other bits and bobs yeah, to different fun. stuff. And we do on most episodes. I was going to say, we always do that. That's like, that's part of the fun of it, seeing someone else's interpretation of something. Yeah. Yeah, it shows the song in a different light. Um, Here's the fun fact that I quite like, though. I think this is really cool. (laughs) So, 20 Flight Rock was the song that Paul McCartney played to impress John Lennon. Oh, wow. And it led to him becoming part of the Quarrymen. Wow. And then the Beatles. That's fun. Wow. So, it was like a big big deal. deal. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of their idols, and they all were into that scene. Yeah, it's like that in Americana the type yeah. era. Mm. Yeah, well, because they they were at that point where you know all of the skiffle, like you're mm. saying, and that's again kind of that country rockabilly elements mm. merging into rock and roll. Because there's also all of the jazz and the, you know, there's so many things all coming together and kind of merges into this rock and roll yeah. scene. And oh. then the Beatles, both my wrists yeah, just cracked. I just cracked heard them. them one at a time. <laughs> I need to wow. take a breath. This standing up has got me all hyped up. You seem and I can't breathe. <laughs> so I'll try and have a breath while this plays. Okay. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I need to moment. sit down. <laughs> the table's really good, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a nice calm sway on me. You're anyway, like I'm dancing. Not, well, I'm stood up. I feel like I should be. Yeah. Do performing. You can, or you can. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll play this track then. And breathe. So, this is 20 Flight Rock by Eddie Cochran. Ooh, well, I gotta get over the record machine when it comes to rock and she's a queen. Well, up to date until Saturday night. 
But a little more I can hold her tight But she lives on the 20th floor of town The elevator's broken down So I walk one, five, two, five, four Five, six, seven, flat, eight, flat, more Up on the 12th, I'm starting to drag Fifty to four, I'm ready to sag Get to the top, I'm too tired to ride Well, she calling me up on the telephone She come on over, honey, I'm all alone I said, baby, you're mighty sweet But I'm in bed with the aching feet This went on for a couple of days But I couldn't stay away So I walk one, two, five, three, five, four Five, six, seven, five, eight, five, more Up on the twelfth, I'm ready to drag A fifteenth, a four, I'm starting to say Get to the top, I'm too tired to rock Well, I sent to Chicago for repairs Till it's a fixed, I'm using the stairs Hope the hurry before it's too late Oh, my baby, too much to wait All this climbing is getting me down To find my corpse draped over a rail But I climb one, two, flight, three, flight, four Five, six, seven, flight, eight, flight, more Up on the twelfth, I'm ready to drag Well, the fifteenth floor, I'm starting to sag Get to the top, I'm too tired to rock So that's the thing with having this adjustable table, though. Like, if you're working at the same desk, if one of you maybe doesn't suit standing up and the other one does, it's a bit difficult. We need to saw the uh, table in half so that you can sit down and calm yourself <laughs> and I can just carry on with my like, little gentle sway. <laughs> <laughs> Quite happy stood. I'm yeah. all right. I've calmed down now. you calmed down now. I it don't know how the... you calmed down with that because I was, I was <laughs> trying to sing along with that and I sat thinking it's a really good vocal warm-up. One, two, flight, three, flight, four. One five, flight, six, two flight, three, five. Yeah. Three flight. I haven't got, yeah, there you go, got yeah. that song. <laughs> <laughs> three, three, <laughs> three flight, four. Three flight, four. Three, yeah. three. Oh, no, you got me doing it One now. flight, two yeah, flight, three, three, five. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a go at that at home. We should incorporate that. We should uh, start doing that as a bit of a vocal warm-up. Yeah, that doesn't suit my tongue, that one. No, but that's why you need to do it. It's good, though. Mm. Yeah. Oh. So, anyway, uh, I mentioned... <laughs> From the film, a bit of a tangent. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. Um, from the film, it featured Fats Domino, and I'm, I had a little bit of a dig around just to see if I could find any Fats Domino in the catalogue, and there was some. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he's famous for Blueberry Hill and Ain't That a Shame. Yeah. I mean, amazing, awesome songs, but everyone knows them. And I found this other one called "You Always Hurt the One You Love," which is actually a cover. Oh, that's nice. Um, it's an original jazz pop standard, uh, first recorded in 1944 by mm. the Mills Brothers. Um, and I just, I think it's, I've never heard this one. I just thought it was quite cool. And plus it's Fats Domino. Yeah. It's just awesome. It's nice to not play the obvious ones all the time. So. Yeah, because you know, you say Blueberry Hill and you can almost sing it straight away yeah. in your head. I don't, can you sing You Always Hurt the One You Love? Maybe no, not. So like now maybe title. you will. Yeah. It's only a snippet anyway. But before we play Fats Domino... I then started to, th- like a chain of digging. And I was like, oh, I need to hear the Mills Brothers now then. Oh. So we're going back and back. Um, so so we starting we're going to play the Mills the Brothers, original. the original, nice. yeah. uh, recorded in 1944. Mm. It's really gorgeous as well. It's, it's got a lovely vocal vibe, this one. Okay. So I'll shut up and let you listen to it. You Always Hurt the One You Love by the Mills Brothers. You The one you love 
The one you shouldn't hurt at all You always take the sweetest rose And crush it till the petals fall You always break the kindest heart With a hasty word you can't recall oh, I really like that. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Just it gets me from that intro and then the words. It's so true. I just, you uh, I, we both had our eyes closed. I briefly opened them and noticed we were both just standing there swaying <laughs> with our eyes closed. Oh, that was really nice. <laughs> it is lovely, isn't it? That intro as well. It's just... And the song then goes on to have a bit more of like a jazz bounce, but mm. I just loved that start. Yeah. It's so warm and yeah. his silky smooth that voice. That is really nice. Um, so we're so, going to hear a Fats Domino version. So now you're going to see uh, hear Heat, Fats Heat. Domino's version yeah. and, and hear how it changes. Like we were mentioning, you know, different versions and how they completely change a song, how a person interprets it. So you always heard the one you love by Fats Domino, released in 1963. <laughs> Such a different vibe, that one, isn't it? Say, I wasn't expecting it to be so different, actually. I know, and um, you can just picture his cheeky face. Yeah, always... and I was going to say the character comes out in the vocals. Yeah, you can... on, the, on the film as well, like, you really get... I love his personality. It really comes through, like, the way he twists his body, looks right down the camera, and he's just got this big cheeky grin. on. Oh, yeah, he's got a good cool. face. He draws me in with just his face, but yeah. his playing's <laughs> awesome as well. Um yeah, so also in that film, The Girl Can't Help It. Really, I really got some so, some stuff out yeah. of that film, so it was a good recommendation. Cheers, John. Um, <laughs> he told me not to mention him. but Oh, no, did he really? You've been, been mentioned. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> um, no, credit where credit's due, I always say, and yeah. he is a fountain of knowledge. So anyway, also in that film was Gene Vincent, who um, was also a friend of Eddie Cochran's. I don't know if that's where they maybe became friends or if they met on the road, I don't know, but they, they were pals. And he has the song, which we're going to play next, which is probably his biggest hit, uh, Bebop Alula. Mm. Um, and you'd be forgiven, I think, to maybe think of that as an Elvis song because it does sound a lot like Elvis, I think. It's got an Elvisy vibe, but it, it was written by Gene Vincent. Um, <clears throat> released in 1956, and the, it's credited as co-written with his manager, Bill Sheriff Tex Davis. Mm. That's his little <laughs> Sheriff Tex. That's his like nickname or something. <laughs> um, but the song originated in 1955 when Vincent was recovering from a motorbike accident at the U.S. Naval Hospital. Mm. And there he met a guy called Donald Greaves, who supposedly wrote the words while Vincent wrote the tune. Oh. And then here's the, again, another bit of a mystery where couldn't quite get to the bottom of it so 
the, the song came to the attention of Davis, the manager, who allegedly bought out Graves' rights to the song for $50. Ooh. Um, I wonder what the equivalent of $50 was. Was this in the 50s, did you say? Well, again, the, the even even says online that, you know, the number's unclear what was given. Mm. But, you know, it, basically it seems like the managers bought this guy who wrote the words out and mm. and now he's, he's credited. And it was, a, it was a clever purchase, to oh, be fair. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, always, I always feel kind of uncomfortable about that. I know, it's I know. difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess it gave him a vested interest to really push it, and maybe that's part of why, you know, it might be had good success. I don't mm, know. Yeah. Not looked that that. Much I didn't. Into dig. It's Graves, hard no. to find stuff when when it's this far back to get like from the source. Wow, it's not. Know, it's and not going to happen, then, is it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was the story that surrounded it. But other than that, you know, it's just a it's a cool track mm. and. Um, yeah, be, that, that bebop alula stuff. I think it kind of stems from from jazz. I read somewhere that they they did a lot of that within songs where they'd shout stuff stuff like that out to get the band kind of hyped up. Okay. Um, and they it, it may stem from like Ariba. Oh. Uh, you know, like Ariba. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, don't, don't know, know for sure. Could all just be rubbish. <laughs> so take it as face With value. With a pinch of salt. Yeah. yeah um, just a great, great track of a cool time. So this is Gene Vincent and his Blue Caps with well, Bebop Alula. Bebop Alula, she's my baby. Bebop Alula, I don't mean my baby. Bebop Alula, she's my baby. Bebop Alula, I don't mean my baby. Bebop Alula, she's my baby. Well, she's the gal in the red, blue jeans She's the queen of all the teams She's the woman that I know She's the woman that loves me so say Bebop Lula, she's my baby Bebop Lula, I don't make my baby Bebop Lula, she's my baby, my baby, my baby, Let's I don't mean my baby. 
Bipapalula, I was thinking, what bamboo? Yeah, what bamboo? Uh, I was thinking, little Richard. Tootie well fruity. Well, yeah, that's it. Tootie yeah, fruity. Yeah, so that would have been the year before 1955, which is so he was full on rock and roll, the pioneer, yeah, the original. I was going to say it's a different vibe that track. It's completely got, different vibe, but yeah. again, around that time, like I was saying, that is something people were doing in jazz and and which then influenced rhythm and blues and rock and roll. I was going to say because if you listen to Tootie Fruity with the woo. Like that's that's the Beatles it's, as well. Yeah, like totally. Totally... I mean, you can see you can completely trace all the Beatles' yeah. early influences. Yeah, they, they loved Little Richard yeah. big time. Mm. You know, and that's their version of it. I feel like that's them trying to be as hard as they can to be Little Richard, <laughs> yeah. and it comes out sounding like something else, which yeah. is good because that's it's their great. unique sound. You don't yeah. need another Little Richard, do you? No. Can um, you have another Little Richard? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he was legend. Yeah, he was. He was yeah, pushing, pushing it, pushing yeah. the boundaries. But um, anyway, that song, yes, very different to the little Richard Tootie Fruity one. Now I know again, that's the, the track. More, I'm on. The, the rockabilly angle. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's, it's just a melting pot of all these different influences all mm. coming into one. Um, yeah, so uh, we, with this show, we always try and find versions as well. We mm. feel like we're talking about versions a lot. Um, and I did find uh, an Everly Brothers version of Bebop Alula, mm. which came... Two years later, in 1958, and they released it on their self-titled debut album. Oh, so it was their first album. So, uh, tells me that they were influenced Gene Vincent by that kind and of music. Eddie Cochran and all that was probably yeah. quite an influence on them. Yeah. You know, it's quite a statement. This is our debut album. Yeah. We're putting this cover of that track. Well, it's the same with the Beatles as well, because I think it wasn't their first album. I know I keep on coming back to the Beatles, but it's like obviously that time. Um, but it does all tie in. It is relevant, yeah. you know, because, you know, with the 20 Flight Rock um, with Paul McCartney playing yeah. it, it's all, it all makes sense. Yeah, on the yeah, show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we we we've got a plan. We, got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> we have it. We'll We're not just it winging it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, Everly Brothers. So shall we have a little listen to that yeah, one? This is nice. I like this. We know we're quite big fans of harmonies. Yeah, yeah, they're masters of two part harmony. Uh, so this is Bebop Alula by Everly well, Brothers. She's a woman in red blue jeans. She's a woman that's a queen of the things. She's a one a woman that I know. They did some uh, fun little additions to that, actually. I mean, there was a bit that I really uh, quite liked, My Baby Doll bit. Yeah, yeah, I like that bit as well. <laughs> my Baby Doll, My Baby Doll, My Baby Doll. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Catchy. Yeah, very um, nice. I like that it's kind of straight. Yeah, yeah. Which makes it kind of fun to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. anyway. We always end up singing them. We can't help ourselves. Yeah. Um, it's a harmony. We can't get away from just like a little grabbing harmony and fun little lyric. I don't know. That, that one's fun. Yeah. My Baby Doll. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> Um, so we're going to round off the Eddie Cochran tour, if you will, with my favourite of his and mm -hmm. probably one of his most popular, uh, Summertime Blues. Oh, yeah. Uh, released in 1958 and I uh, just love it. I don't know why he's recaptured something there. Yeah. And the production on it. For the 50s. It sounds, it's so good. Like mm. it's got a real edge mm. and really being playful with his voice. And 
this, I really love it. I can get very excited standout about track. this one. It's yeah, great. Yeah. Track. I can see how this would influence musicians to come, mm. which it does. Mm. Um, so it was co-written with his manager, <laughs> uh, Jerry Capehart. I don't think there's any you know, no, underhandedness no, no, uh, with this one. It seemed like they rights or anything. They, they set off from the beginning as co-writers oh, okay, that's and nice. slash manager. It seems like that was yeah. very clearly all above board from what I could gather. <laughs> <laughs> the other one may be above board as well. I don't know, but it, yeah, it seemed a bit more sketchy. Yeah. Um, so at this point in his career, he would have only been 20 years old. Wow. Which is still so young, isn't it, to have created... A legacy that goes on forever from yeah. that point that's but, the nice thing about music though it lives on beyond us doesn't it well yeah but and again i mean there's a real sad part to this story and it ties in with uh gene vincent who we mentioned earlier yeah. as well um so in 1960 just two years two, later yeah. he was 22 years old he died in a car accident oh. eddie cochran um, 22 i know wow when and did they so, do the, that film then what uh the film the was before let me check my notes from the beginning 1957 20 flight rock was released was that when the film was then? um so the single was released a year after the so film 56, so 56 so was the film. the film wow so it was probably peak fame as well oh yeah yeah i mean after that film it, it took off mm. um and they were doing a lot of touring Mm. Um, is that is that was it like on a tour yeah so this and <gasps> oh. by the story gets even deeper than that so he him and gene had been performing their last scheduled concert at bristol hippodrome in the uk oh, no. um and the two of them plus cochran's fiance sharon shelley who's also a songwriter in her own right a musician mm. um their tour manager patrick tompkins and the 19-year-old taxi driver, George Martin, not oh, the George yeah, Martin, yeah, but random connection there as well. Um, they were all traveling along the Bath Road in a taxi from Bristol to London late at night. It was about 11.50 p.m. Mm. And um, at that point, the taxi driver, Martin, lost control of the car and crashed into a concrete lamppost. <gasps> and I read that Cochrane kind of threw himself onto his fiance mm. to protect her. And in that moment, the passenger door flew open and he flew out. He got flung out of the car. Um, and from that, he, he got a fatal brain injury. Oh, no. Um, they were all taken to hospital, but Cochrane never regained consciousness. So that was it. Wow. Shelley suffered injuries to her back and her thigh. Vincent suffered... Uh, a fractured collarbone and several injuries to his legs and Tompkins sustained facial injuries and a fractured skull. Martin, the driver, didn't have any injuries. Wow, that is amazing, really. Um, if you're at the front of the car and it's hit a concrete lamppost, so the only person who died was... Just Eddie, yeah. Eddie Cochran. I know. And probably just because the door flew open. Yeah, I mean... Rear, I don't know if there was seatbelts were such a big thing back then, either, especially in the back seats. I don't know. And if he'd have leant forward to protect his fiance, I don't know, it might have put him in a difficult position to not stop himself. Well, as well, if he was thrown from the car, he's obviously hit his head, hasn't he? On the yeah, well, and so Mm. you know, an investigation was done and it was determined that the car was actually traveling at excessive speed. Mm. 
So it was the driver's fault, the little 19-year-old lad. Um, a lot for him to live with, mm. but, you know, That's what awful. a shame. Um, the extra kicker was that one year earlier, uh, two of Cochrane's friends, Buddy Holly oh, and Richie Valens, yeah, were killed in it? a plane crash while on tour. Um, and according to Cochrane's friends and family, they said that he was like badly shaken by their deaths and became convinced, like a premonition, that he was going to die young. Um, mm. And so he, he really wanted to give up talk, touring and wanted to, he was dead keen to spend more time in the studio making music and reduce any chance or risk of a similar mm. kind of fatal accident. Mm. Um, I mean, that's sad, isn't it? Like you've kind of predicted it. And but if, I mean, if you think of how much time that musicians then would spend on the road, it was it's like it was loads, wasn't it? I mean, it is now as well, but um, probably better travel. Although, I mean, that makes sense mm. with planes. I imagine the planes were probably a bit rickety and they would be traveling in like small planes. That's I think what Buddy, Buddy Holly's, Holly's was. one was like, didn't it go? Was it? I think it was a small Rocky private Mountains, plane. Was it like that, that way? I don't know. Yeah, was it maybe. like a snowstorm or something? I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, this I is just remember. a taxi. You'd think you'd be kind of okay in a car, but late at night and if he's going fast, I don't know. Um, apparently, though, as well, um, he, he wanted to quit touring, but he because of financial responsibilities, it meant that he, he had to keep playing live, which meant... That's what Which I mean, because the touring to, is where, where the money money is, really. I know, but the the harsh thing about that is he's had this realisation that he doesn't want to tour anymore, decides that he, he doesn't want to, but then he has to keep going for money, and the tour that he takes on after that, deciding he doesn't want to tour, needing money, was this offer to tour the UK mm. in 1960, oh, no. which became his last tour. Wow. It's just this whole chain of events Sadness. that it's just That's like, ah. Heartbreaking, isn't it? Mm. But anyway, I yeah. felt like I couldn't not, I couldn't do this without covering that element because it's such a huge part of the story. Um, also, probably why he's gone on to be such a legend as well because it does it create tragic, an instant isn't it? And legend, it, it, doesn't yeah. It? And I think it was the same with Buddy Holly. Um, it's interesting. I didn't know that that they were connected in any way. That they were like they knew. Well, it. I think the thing with that is it doesn't take away from how how good they were. Yeah. But it does put a magnifying glass on how good they were because that's it. Then that yeah. is there. You're not going to get that is all else. there is, and it makes it extra Precious. special. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, just uh, also, I think I'm totally off about where Buddy Holly's plane crash was. I don't think. Oh yeah, <laughs> you just checked. I'm just making it up. I yeah, I just had a little, a little wandering eyes. You know, I was <laughs> looking at you. You just weren't looking at me. I always, I couldn't You're remember. Little, yeah, I couldn't remember. Look up, kid. Moment where yeah. oh, I wondered. Thought he just yeah. lost interest in just, what I was saying. Spreading fake news. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was a small plane. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Anyway, regardless of all that, <laughs> we're talking about summertime blues right now. <laughs> yes, 1958. Um, and, and his legacy. And this is like a key part of what he gave to music and, and future musicians. This inspired so many musicians mm. to come and probably producers as well, I would have thought. Um, so let's well, yeah, hear it. I didn't really focus on the production of this though. So, but you, you, uh, you seem pretty keen on it. So I'll have to. I just think, it, I think it sounds music. great. Mm. And, uh, and they're quite playful with, you know, the with the way it's been recorded and stuff so mm. this is Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran I'm a gonna raise a fuss I'm a gonna raise a holler 
So many things it's you could so comment on. It's so entertaining, like in the lyrics and everything, but also the music. And yeah, yeah, you, with, you're right with all the like little percussive little bits and even the vocal. And, I know, like really, they really captured yeah. something there. Yes. And so, I mean, his, his punchy voice, his voice sounds great, doesn't yeah, it? it does really, sound like amazing. when you listen to Twenty Flight Rock, he's got a whole new edge with this one. Mm. Maybe with life experience and age, I don't know. And performing non-stop. Yeah, it could be that as well, yeah. It does get you more confident, doesn't it? Um, and I think you find your style more when you're just constantly... But that, like, that, the guitar, yeah. it was like, din, 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 like that, it feels quite different for the time. Yeah. It's quite punchy, I don't yeah. know. Uh, you know, it, it went on to, in, like, inspire people like The Who. Mm. Uh, and you can hear some of those kind of sharp blasting chords you know, with the Who, obviously not with the acoustic, they'd be doing electric, but mm. this is where all those little inspirations Nuggets stem of, from. Yeah. You know, little things like that. You're just like, oh, I like that. Yeah. And then you pull it out of the bag at some point down the line. Um, yeah. yeah. I could go on about it free. Yeah. I really love that track. <laughs> um, there was something else I wanted to say. Yeah, because he was talking from kind of a, the problems of the world from a teenager's point of view. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it became quite an anthem for, for kids That's of the time. Good. Yeah. And oh, that is that line. Uh, I'd love uh, to help your son, but you're too young to vote. Yeah, isn't yeah, that good? Like, so went good. to my congressman and he said, I'd love to help your son. Yeah. yeah. And even Brilliant. putting the like the little voice in and everything, it's amazing. Yeah. That is really well good. Well done. Yes. That's a really good track. Um, so, with that <sighs> line, actually, that we've just picked out, that's a good uh, segue. Segue. Are we going yeah, into yeah, yeah. Okay. So well, I, I just set you up for I'll pretend I knew what, what I was doing going. Yes. Uh, so, I went <laughs> hunting for, for any samples that have been used from it or. Um, you know, covers or anything and i found not a sample but uh pj harvey had used kind of that that part of the song huh. um she didn't sample it they performed it but um in the song the words that maketh murder by pj harvey released in 2011 um her lyrics kind of criticize diplomacy mm. and in the final refrain of the song it uses the line from summertime blues 
what if I take my problems to the United Nations? Oh, yeah. And she kind of repeats it over and over. I, I, when I heard it, I thought, oh, is that sampled? It's almost like she's duetting with Eddie Cochran, huh. you know, over time. But um, no, I think someone was performing his part. Oh, okay. Um, but I thought that was kind of cool. Huh. And um, just a little, a little bit about... Then? Yeah, I've got a little snippet to play. A little bit about PJ Harvey because... She's interesting mm -hmm. as well. I just did some research. Um, so she always starts her songs with lyrics, she says, prior to the music. And um, she states that this is her kind of go-to starting point, the root level of her style of songwriting. Mm. So it all comes from the words. The words have got to be right first. Mm -hmm. I suppose from the words, then you get a tone, don't you? Which then you can... <clears throat> Maybe. I mean, I don't... Personally, I don't well, no. start that way very No, I know, but I can see, like, because lyrics do have a tone. You know, if it's serious or whether can, it's playful or if it's... I mean, definitely, if you're if you're starting with the words, you're so much more free to yeah. write whatever you want to write because you're not trying to tie it into a melody. Mm. But I also find that maybe a bit difficult yeah. at times. It's like, but, oh, what? where do I begin? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see the merit of both ways of doing it. We have done it at times, but I'm more inclined to start with Mel melody yeah, and music. music. First. <laughs> um, but so she doesn't, and... Um, this recording in fact this whole album was all played live Ooh, nice. to kind of she said to get the the actual feel across yeah. they wanted to feel it and for it to not be rigid yeah um and she did that with collaborators john parish and uh mitch harvey mish mitch i think i think that's a, sp a spelling mistake when i've typed it <laughs> um but yeah so i presume one of them might be singing the eddie cochran part right um yeah it's even within the song as well. There's kind of an underlying similar feel slash tempo to Summertime Blues. It's like almost like a little bit of a very subtle tribute, but still with PJ Harvey's own style. So anyway, I've probably banged on enough. <laughs> uh, this is The Words That Maketh Murder by PJ Harvey. how they've uh, like used the same sort of a rhythmy type thing underneath it well that's what made me think is it sampled is, have they just lifted his voice now because also this like i said it's got a similar feel yeah and, and i mean I, it's such I listen a different to track back to back yeah that's it and there is that kind of yeah and it's kind of the same tempo feel like it's all there yeah so yeah, it's like a subtle homage you wouldn't, you wouldn't I can put it. pick it up though other than listening to it back to back, we, yeah. we had to go and sort of drop in. If I hadn't been researching <laughs> it with fo laser focus, yeah. I might not have picked up the yeah the tribute there. No, no, that was cool. Yeah, nice to have heard like a modern take, essentially. Kind of, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not so really. different. It's not a it's cover. Not, or no, anything. it's not. It's not a cover, and it's not even the same style of music. But there's just like little nuggets in there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah. So that brings us to the last track of this episode. And I wanted to see if I could find any other kind of uh, extension of Eddie Cochran's legacy in, in modern musicians or musicians that followed him hmm. that were inspired by him in some way. 
And there's loads. I was going to say, there's like, loads. I can think of loads. But I managed to come across, um, yeah. during my research, uh, Mark Bolan apparently was a big fan. Hmm. Not not recent, but... No, no I said, you know, <laughs> after, musicians after that follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was such a fan that his main guitar, his Gibson Les Paul, um, he had it refurbished in a transparent orange to resemble the Gresh 6120 played by Cochrane. Mm. Um, like, you know, just so it could have the exact same kind of oh. looking guitar. It's his hero. Yeah. Uh, nice. And um, when I was doing some research, the track I've picked is Rings of Fortune because it's got a bit of a vibe. It's not dead obvious, but... Uh, I was you just like digging around yeah, for Mark yeah. Bowen and I found this track. I was like, I don't know that. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So I'm just including that because <laughs> um, there is another track on that same album, which is the beginning of Doves called The Lilac Hands of Menthol Dan, which is just a great title, isn't it? The Lilac Hand of Menthol Dan. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that kind of starts with a dong, 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 bong, Ooh, from Summertime boy. Blues. That's I don't cool. know whether it's, I mean, I doubt it's sampled. He's probably played Play it, it, hasn't yeah. he? Um, but yes, yeah, so I think that kind of shows his influence, you know, his inspiration is taken from Eddie Cochran. Yeah. Um, and he also frequently performed Summertime Blues live hmm. and had it as his B-side to Ride a White Swan, which is his big hit. There you go then. That was so a massive hit. A clear fan. Yeah. Um, so maybe you'll hear in this in this track some influence as well. Maybe you won't, but it's just... It's a nice ender. It's just a great track. <laughs> and I've never, I've never heard it. It was kind of like, a new find for me so i've added it to my playlist and i thought we'd share it i've taken that on it's great maybe introduce it to some new years as well that's it so it's released in 1974 and there's just so much great music in the 70s isn't there we're just saying you know i love the 70s 70s rock Uh, i am obsessed with 70s rock that is my time (laughs) even though it wasn't my time i feel like i was you know I just love. Yeah, what was the one we found it. yesterday? Aerosmith. Dream oh, on. I mean, I know you know Aerosmith, but yeah, this, that one like, doesn't really sound like. I was going to say almost. some of the tracks they did in the seventies are just amazing. <sighs> yeah, free as well. Yeah, free, I so. love free. Anyway, we could go on and on with that. That's a whole other tangent. Yes. Um, so we are Adam and Paula from the Dejan Club, and you've been listening to the Wise Choice Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. Cheers. We'll Bye. leave you with Rings of oh. Fortune by Mark Bolin. Yeah. <laughs> Bye.
If you enjoyed our show, you might also like Composing Myself. It's another wise music podcast which features interviews with composers and writers getting into the nitty gritty about how they write and their process behind it all. You can find links to it in our podcast or just search for Composing Myself on your platform of choice.